0: want to welcome everyone to another service at Wardenfull Gospel, whether you're in the sanctuary here or you're watching online, we are glad you are here. Probably the most common greeting that you hear among people is, God bless you. We say it when people sneeze, God bless you. Sometimes if you receive an email at the very end of the email as people sign off. They may say something like many blessings and then there's their name. Have you ever taken time to think about what in the world does blessing mean? What is a blessing? How do you you define blessing? Would you know what a blessing is if you were confronted with a blessing? If you pray for God to bless somebody, how would you know if it really happen. The word bless in the Bible is the Greek word makarios, and makarios is the word for happy. In other words, to be blessed is to be happy. To have a blessing is to have happiness in your life. So today, as we begin a series of messages from the Gospel of Matthew, particularly the most famous sermon that Jesus ever spoke. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's it's the message where Jesus talked about eight ways on how you can be blessed by God. Eight ways in how you can receive a blessing in your life. So when Jesus talks about being blessed, he is saying that you will be happy in your life If you do these eight things, I don't know about you, but I want to live in God's blessing. And if you want to live in God's blessing, you need to be extremely, extremely, extremely interested in how to receive the blessing of God. The truth of the matter is, I want God to bless not only my life, but I want God to bless your life. I want you to walk in the blessing of God. I want God to bless your relationships. I want God to bless your families. If you're in school, I want God to bless your studies. If you're married, I want God to bless your marriage. I want God to bless your finances. I want God to bless your businesses. I want God to bless you with good health. I want God to bless your future and your legacy. So when Jesus starts talking, his famous sermon, he begins with these eight conditions. Eight conditions for you to receive the blessing of God in your life, in all areas of your life. Now some of you may have heard this new term. It's a new modern day, it's in the modern day vernacular, quantum. Have you ever heard that word quantum we talk about? Or you maybe have heard quantum physics, or quantum mathematics, or quantum mechanics. Quantum is by definition, has to do with small increments or small individual parcels. But together with all the other small individual parcels, they create a larger quantity. That's what what quantum is all about. Small pieces, but put together, they make a large piece. So in the Beatitudes, you have eight small sayings Eight conditions on how to receive God's blessings. Small individual points. But together, when you combine all of these eight small points together, they become your package to a happy life. That's the blessing of God. They become the package for you to embrace in order to have a happy life. So here's the first one. Here's the first quantum point. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. That's Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is there. To be poor. That's the first condition for God's blessing in your life. To be poor is to realize Your need for him. In other words, I am going to be a person who humbly depends on God instead of myself. Now, for you to understand, I want you to listen to several other translations of this very verse so we can actually have a fuller understanding of what it means to be poor. The the translation from God's word says, God blesses those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. From the common English translation. God blesses those who depend only on Him. From the New Century version of the Bible. God blesses those who know they have great spiritual need. So I think you can see a pattern developing here. The Bible is saying that I need to recognize that I am inadequate to live my life without God. Without God in my life, I am spiritually poor. That's what the scriptures are telling us. Jesus is not talking about physical poverty. He is not talking about economic poverty. Jesus is not talking about material poverty. poverty. He is talking about spiritual poverty. He's talking about maintaining a certain attitude in your life. To be poor in spirit means that I need to humbly depend on God instead of myself. Because I know that I am inadequate in and of myself to handle the problems and the difficulties that I may face in life. So if you want God's blessing on your relationship, then you need to learn to be dependent on God. If you want God's blessing on your work or on your career or on your studies or on your finances, you want God's blessing on your health, I have, to be, I have to humbly depend on God instead of myself. So then the obvious question becomes, how do you do that? How do I actually depend on God on a daily basis? That's the obvious question. If God wants to bless my life, If I'm poor in spirit, meaning I am going to depend on God, the question then has to be, how do I do that? And the Bible gives us practical ways on how you can do that and how you can put this into practice in your everyday life, every single day of your life, even this week. You can put these things into practice and you can experience the blessing of God. If you practice these points, you will become a person who is poor, which means you, will, you are depending completely on God rather than yourself. How do you express your dependence on God? Well, the first way you do that is I'm going to depend on God's wisdom. That's the first point on developing dependence on God. I am going to depend on God's wisdom. Not my wisdom, God's wisdom. In other words, I'm going to listen to what God says, and I'm going to follow what God says I should do. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Now you need to circle, if you have your Bibles open and you're following along, you need to circle that word seem. There is a way that seems right for us as human beings but in the end, it's a dead end. Our ideas often lead us to dead ends, even unto death. Have you ever had in your life this feeling that something was very, very, very right? You just absolutely know that this was the right thing to do. You knew it was the right thing to do. You felt it in your heart. It was the right thing to do. And then you went ahead and did it, And it ended up being very, very wrong. In fact, it was, if you reflect back on it, it was a very dumb thing for you to do. And it became a total fiasco and a failure in your life. That's what this verse is describing for us here. There is a way that seems right to us, but it often ends into a bad situation. There's an old country western song, if you listen to country western music. How can it be, the song goes, how can it be, Wrong when it feels so right. See, there are a lot of things that are wrong that feel so right in the moment. Feelings, things that you feel, your feelings can lie to you. A lot of stuff feels right. But in the end, it ends up being very bad. And six months later... You're talking to yourself and you say to yourself, what in the world was I thinking? How in the world did I get so messed up in this one thing? How did I get my life so entangled in something so stupid? And now you're scared and you're hurt and you're in debt and you're wondering to yourself, how am I ever going to recover from this? I'm sure... All of us, those of you watching and those of you in the sanctuary, all of us, I think, could give a testimony in our lives where we had this feeling that seemed so right, this hunch. It was going to be a good thing. And then it ended up being a dead end. It happens in friendships. Oh, we had this perfect relationship. This is the person I've always wanted to be with. This is the perfect person that I should marry. I know this person is for me. It can happen in our investment. I know this is where I should put my money. This is this stock I'm going to invest in, this is a sure winner. This is the big deal for me. If I invest in this, I'm going to clean house. And then it flops. We could probably spend the rest of the day thinking of times and opportunities, thinking of very painful examples where we wish where we wish we should have taken our time and maybe listened and maybe prayed about and listened to God instead of acting on our gut feelings. Just because you feel something here in your pit of your stomach doesn't make it right. And the Bible is saying is this, if you want fewer dead ends, if you want to have fewer defeats, if you want to have fewer failures in life, Listen to this verse. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through verse 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed. What? Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In other words, Don't depend on your own wisdom. Don't depend on what you think is the right thing to do. Don't depend on your gut feelings. Don't depend on your hunches because those things will often lead you astray. Don't go around saying, I can handle this. I can do this and that. I've got a plan. I've got it all figured out. I've got it all master planned out. I know what to do. No, 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 no. Depend on God's wisdom. Not what your friends are saying. Not what you think. Don't rely upon your own feelings. James chapter 1, the next verse says, this is what we need to do. If you want wisdom, and if you want the direction you need in your life, ask a generous God. And He will give to you what you're asking for. He will give you wisdom. He will not rebuke you for asking. You don't have to be qualified for it. You don't have to be a certain age. All you have to do is say, God, I need your direction, I need input, I need your wisdom. Listen, God doesn't want you to hit dead end. God doesn't want you to go through failure after failure after failure in your life. God wants you to succeed in life. God wants you to be a wise person. God wants you to make, be a person that makes smart decisions with your time, with your relationships, with your money. And God is saying here in this verse, listen, here I am. All you have to do is ask me and I will give you wisdom and I will give it to you generously. I will give it to you graciously. If you want to be a wise person and you want to make smart decisions, all you have to do is ask me for direction in your life. That means every single day you need to have a daily awareness of walking with God. Understanding and knowing that God's presence is with you. Immersing yourself in reading the Bible. Taking time to have prayer and reflection. Making yourself, taking moments where you are placing, literally placing your reliance, taking it off of yourself and giving it to God on a daily basis so that God can guide you. Living on God's wisdom rather than on your own wisdom. The second point is if you want to be a person who expresses their dependence on God is you need to depend on God's strength. Now, you've probably noticed you get tired. Some of your eyes are getting a little heavy now. And at the end of the day, you feel worn out and you're running low on energy. And the reason we get tired is because, listen, we're human. We're human. Your strength is limited. But God's strength is unlimited. Your strength is finite. God's strength is infinite. Your strength is exhaustible. That's why you get exhausted. But God's strength is inexhaustible. See, God never runs out of energy, and God never gets tired. Psalm 84, verse 5. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Look at these words. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar High on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Let me say let me say this. In the darkest moments of your life, when you can't see a way forward, when there is a lot of confusion and there is difficulties, it doesn't matter where those issues come from. It doesn't matter how dark and how desperate the situation is is it doesn't matter what you are experiencing, in the darkest moments of your life, you will need God's strength to get through those. I've seen over the years people divorce and never recover. I've seen people go through major illnesses. I've seen people go through bankruptcy or get fired from their job. I've seen people get laid off even get arrested. I've seen people go through mental issues and never recover. I've seen people go through all kinds of things and they never recover. The only way you can get through the darkest days of your life, not on your strength, it's on God's strength. You have got to come to a place where you rely totally and completely on Him. Psalm 73 verse 26 says these words, My health may fail, and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Here's a statement that all of us should memorize. Those of you in the sanctuary, those of you watching at home right now, here's a statement you need to memorize. God remains the strength of my heart. We need to memorize that right now. God remains the strength of my heart. Let's say it together. At home, you may speak it out aloud, but those in the sanctuary, say it together. God remains the strength of my heart. God remains the strength of my heart. Where is that found? In Psalm 73, 26. What does Psalm 73, 26 say? God remains the strength of my heart. Here's what I want you to do. You need to write this verse on a card. And read it over and over and over again until you have it memorized. And you need to say it at least ten times a day. Where you say, this verse is my most important affirmation in my life. When you get up in the morning, and you don't feel like you have enough energy to get started, and you're sitting on the edge of your bed, God remains the strength of my heart when you go about your work when you go to your business or whatever you are doing you come across troubles and issues and conflict with people you say but God remains the strength of my heart late in the afternoon when you get a phone call and it's a bad news phone call and it's terrible and you are frustrated and you are anxious and you're scared and This phone call has created stress in your life and anxiety is overwhelming you. Pause and you say, but God is the strength of my heart. At the end of the day, when you're running out of energy and you're getting tired and you have a lot of things to still accomplish and you feel weary within your spirit and you feel weary in your soul and you still have things to get done for the day, God remains the strength of my heart. When you go to bed at night and you put your head on the pillow and you think of all the things that are ruminating around in your mind, things that you didn't get done, you're maybe even beginning to feel loneliness starting to creep in and there, is, there are worries that are starting to overwhelm you and you, you, feel, you feel fear taking hold of your heart. As you're laying there in the darkness of your bedroom. And you feel this anxiousness rising up within you. You say to yourself. But God remains the strength of my heart. God is the strength of our lives. And we put our trust in Him. And when you do that. You're walking in the blessing of God. Because you're not depending on yourself. You're relying on His strength. Hudson Taylor was a famous missionary to China back in the 19th century he lived to be a very old man and in his old age he began to lose his health and he began to get weaker and weaker and he wrote a letter to a friend and he wrote these words I am so weak I can no longer work I am so weak I can no longer study I am so weak I can no longer read my bible I can't even pray I can only lie still in the arms of God like a little child in trust. Listen, friend, sometimes in your life you are going to experience weakness to the extent that you won't be able to pray. Sometimes in your life you are going to experience a weakness where you won't be able to even read your Bible, sometimes in your life you are going to experience sickness where you won't be able to work. Sometimes in your life you're going to experience weakness so weak that you won't be able to do anything. What do you do in those kinds of moments? I rest in the strength of my Lord to sustain me and carry me like a child in His arms. God remains the strength of our heart. Here's the, here's the paradox in life, of life. The more you are weak, the more you're going to depend on God. And the more you depend on God, the stronger your faith becomes. And the third point is, I need to depend on God's timing. I need to depend on God's timing. The Bible is very clear and describes the fact that there are seasons in your life and in my life. And one of the seasons is the season of waiting. And it's a season we don't like very much. When we go through these various seasons of life, one of the seasons we don't like is this whole aspect of waiting. But please don't think that just because you are in a season of waiting... That somehow God has stopped working. Please understand that though you may be waiting for direction. Or you may be waiting for an answer to a prayer. Doesn't mean that God has stopped uh, working while you are in this season of waiting. While you are waiting God is still working. He's just taking us through a season of waiting because the timing isn't right for us or there are still some things that we need to learn through the circumstances we go through. Psalm 31, verse 14 and verse 15. Notice it. But I am trusting you, O Lord, saying you are my God. My future is in your hands. Rescue me from those who hunt me relentlessly. We say, when Lord? When are you going to do this? And it seems, it seems like God is never in a hurry. You've probably prayed this. God, when are you going to do this? And it seems to you in your spirit, God is never in a hurry. We say, when is this going to happen? God, are you, are you doing what you said you promised you're going to do? And God seems to say, I'm watching, I'm working. Just continue to trust me. You see, the problem with waiting is that in our human nature and in the culture in which we live in, we don't like to wait. We want things done absolutely quickly. Everything has to be done fast. When I go through a fast food restaurant, those drive-through places, you go to the first window and you see the attendant, he wants or she wants your money. And after they've collected the money, they usually say to you, okay, go pick up your order at the second window. And by the time you reach the second window, there is something in your heart and in your spirit, in your mind, where you say, I just need to roll down the window and put out my hand and food is going to be there. You just want to grab and go. I don't even want to wait 20 seconds. I remember our son, when he was younger, about six or seven years old, he used to say to us, we're a fast family, aren't we? But it's, it's the culture in which we live in. We like to do things fast and quick. That's the way we are wired. And it goes against everything. It goes against God's blessing in our lives because God's blessing comes through times of waiting. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Look at this verse. Yet God has made everything what? Beautiful in Whose time? His time. Not our time, His time. He has planted eternity in every human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. You need to circle that verse. That is an incredibly powerful verse. We've been there. You may be in a time of waiting right now. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online, and you're frustrated because of how slow things are working in your life. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 22. Here's a great promise. The smallest family will become a thousand people, and the tiniest group will become a mighty nation. At the right time, I, the Lord, will make it Happen Now this is a promise in the Bible of the formation of the nation of Israel. But it's also something, if you look at this verse, it's also something that we need to understand. It's a promise that we need to understand how God works in our lives during times of waiting. Listen, the world waited thousands of years for Jesus to come the very first time. But at the right time, in God's time, Jesus was born into the world. And as a Christian church, we've now been waiting over 2,000 years for Jesus to come again. And people, people are saying, when is Jesus coming again, people ask. When is He coming? At God's right time. In God's time, that's when Jesus is going to return. Now you need to write this down. Look look at this. A delay is not a denial. While I'm waiting, God is working. Now we may think God is saying no to us. But in reality, God is saying not yet. Will you keep trusting me? Will you remain faithful to me through this? And while we are waiting and we feel nothing is happening, God is working, please understand this, God is working behind the scenes in ways to get us ready for the right answer in our lives. The dangerous spot for us is when we put ourselves into a position where we actually believe that God is not going to do it or God is not fast enough for us. And then we begin to think, well, since God isn't going to do it, I'm just going to step in and do it. I'm just going to do it myself. I don't care what I have to do. I'm just going to get it done. Because obviously God has forgotten about me. Can I share with you a little lesson? God always. Listen to this. God always gives his best. To those. Who wait. God always gives his best. To those. Who. Who wait. If you get in a hurry, or you step out and you say, I'm just going to go ahead and do whatever I need to get done, it's all, you're always going to settle for second best in your life. If you get frantic and you get nervous and you get hurry and, and you, you, you begin to start answering your own prayers, you're going to come to a place where you are going to create a terrible, terrible mistake. That's what Abraham did. God promised Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. When it didn't happen, didn't happen, and it didn't happen because Sarah, his wife, was not able to conceive, Abraham took the handmaiden of Sarah, got her pregnant, and then a little boy was born named Ishmael. Here, God, here is the son. You promised. Here is the one that you promised me. And God said, that's not the baby I was going to give you. That was your plan. That was not my idea. Micah chapter 7, verse 7. Notice this verse. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. Notice this. I wait confidently for God to save me. And my God will certainly hear me. Poor in spirit means I am going to maintain an attitude that I am humbly depending on God instead of myself. I'm going to depend on God's wisdom. I'm going to depend on God's strength. I'm going to depend on God's timing. God will answer when He is ready to answer. And He knows when I am ready for that answer. And if you want God's blessing, you've got to learn this truth today. Number four, depend on God's defense. Depend on God's defense. Listen, there will always be people in your life and in my life who misunderstand you. There will always be people in your life, listen, who don't like you. There will always be people who will criticize you, they will judge you, they will attack you, they will gossip about you, and they will spread rumors about you. And when you are misunderstood, there will always be a tendency in our humanness for us to get in there and defend ourselves. When you're attacked, Your tendency is to attack back. When people criticize you, our tendency is, we're going to criticize them back. When somebody slams you, you want to slam them back. When somebody insults you, you want to insult them back. I'm saying to you today, don't do it. Let God be your defender. That's what I'm saying to you today. Let God be your defender. There is no need to defend yourself. God says, Every time you get under attack and you get criticized and you're put down and misunderstood, you have two choices. You can either defend yourself, you can let God come to your defense. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges Fairly, There were six trials for Jesus. This is what Peter is referring to. There were six trials for Jesus. Three by the Romans and three by the Jewish people. All of the trials were a sham. All of them were fake. They were all phony trials, false charges against Jesus. They said, this guy, Jesus, is trying to overthrow the government. He wants to be King Pilate. Do you know Pilate? He, He wants to overthrow you. He wants your job, Pilate. And the Bible says that Jesus would not even dignify the false accusations with an answer. He remained totally silent. Listen to me real closely now. You are most like Christ. You are most like Jesus when you say nothing in the face of attack. You are most like Jesus Christ in the face of injustice, unfair criticism, in the face of lies about you. You will be most like Jesus when you say nothing and remain completely silent. And you say, I am just going to put this in the hands of God. He is going to be my defender. God is my defender. I don't need to even defend myself back. And I'm going to remain silent. You know, many people think, if I just try harder, if I just become nicer, if I just work really hard at becoming perfect, then everybody is going to like me. Wrong. That's the wrong kind of thinking. Jesus was perfect. And there were a lot of people who didn't like Jesus. Even if you were Jesus, and if you were... There are still going to be people in this community, in this city, that are not going to like you, no matter how hard you try. People will still verbally attack you. They will criticize you. People will continually misunderstand your motivation. Because why? We are a broken people. We live in a broken world. But in this environment of our brokenness, where people are vile and angry towards you, you don't need to defend yourself. You are just like Jesus if you keep your mouth shut. So when you're on the freeway and someone expresses to you the international finger sign of displeasure, you don't need to express the finger of displeasure back to them. Here's an interesting thing. When people don't like you, they get what's called motivated reasoning. Motivated reasoning. If people don't want to like you, they're always quick to believe everything negative about you. They're not going to believe anything positive of who you are. They only will believe the negative. And you can spend all day long trying to correct those misunderstandings. But let me tell you this. Nothing is going to change their opinion of you. That's motivated reasoning. Psalm 2 verse 12 says, What joy for all who take refuge in Him, meaning God. In other words, you don't need to be a person who defends themselves. You let God. God be your defender. You let God defend you against accusations, against the critics. You can spend all your days and all your time trying to correct all those criticisms you don't, that you don't have time for anything else. And it's still not going to change the opinion, the attitudes, and the minds of people who dislike you anyway. And so many times, we cave in to all the negativity that comes towards us and we take it personally. Psalm 62, verse 5 through verse 7. Look at these words. Let all that I am wait quietly before God for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God. From God alone. He is my refuge. A rock where no enemy can reach me. If there's any person who experienced the criticisms in his entire life, it is this psalmist who is David. He was attacked his entire life. Most of his life, people were wanting to kill him. Yet here here, here he is saying, God is my protector. God is my defender. God is my victor. He is my shelter. I'm going to put my trust in the Lord. I'm going to find my refuge in Him. In other words, he is saying... Let God handle all those who are lying against me. Let God handle all those who are spreading rumors and gossip about me. Let God handle those who are making false representations against me. I'm just going to trust in Him because I am living, not for anybody except for an audience of one. And that is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One last point and I'll quit. One last point. The last thing you need to depend on is depend on God's wealth. One of the greatest sources of stress that people have in their life is this anxiety about money. The number one anxiety-producing issue in this world is money. How am I going to survive? Am I going to make it? In fact, studies have shown that one of the top reasons why people get divorced is financial pressures, financial worries. It keeps people awake at night. It causes people to do all kinds of stupid things. These financial worries and these financial pressures cause people to put their security then in bank accounts and their jobs and in investments when action in actuality our security is found only in God Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 look what it says Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 and this same God who takes care of me will supply all listen This God who takes care of me will do what? Well, he will supply all your needs from where? From his glorious riches, which have been given to us through and in Christ Jesus. You need to circle that, his glorious riches. It's God's wealth. It's not your wealth that makes you secure. And when you put your security in God, it can't be taken from you. You can't lose it. Now listen, as I'm wrapping up, if you think that your job or your business or your investments is what keeps you financially secure, you're going to find a lot of insecurity in life. Because listen, Jobs come and go. The economy will go up or down several times in your lifetime. Stock markets can go bull or bear. And all this stuff and all these details, all this stuff shouldn't matter to us because our source of supply is in God. Living poor in a spiritual sense living poor that's what jesus is talking about here in matthew chapter 5 verse 3 living poor means that i realize that god is the source of supply in my life he gives me health he gives me a job that sustains me and my family he gives me the finances and I need to totally, 100% depend on Him as my source. So here's the first key to having a blessed life. When you are being poor in spirit, it means that you are saying, God, I'm not depending on myself. Instead, I am completely depending on upon you I depend on your wisdom I depend upon your strength not my strength your strength Lord it has to infiltrate my life God I'm going to depend on your timing and your plan for my life I'm not going to defend myself but I'm going to depend on your defense of me and I'm going to prev- I'm going to on your wealth from your glorious riches you're going to take care of me in every situation in every circumstance in fact Lord in all these five points I am going to trust you wholeheartedly wisdom strength timing I'm going to trust in your defense I'm going to trust in your wealth and when you determine that in your heart When God sees that attitude in your heart and in my heart, and He sees that in people's hearts all over the place, God says, That person who has that kind of an attitude is a person that I want to bless. That's the person who walks in the blessing of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, May our motivation be such that we would walk in your blessing. May our attitude in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, spirit, God, may our attitude be such that we live by trusting you wholeheartedly in all areas of our life. May you propel us, O oh God, to be that kind of a person where we reside under your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Let's prepare our hearts, whether at home or here in the sanctuary today, for communion. Take the emblems that you have prepared, and let's, let's worship God together in communion.